You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Anookshook Professional Dog Food. And welcome to episode 82 with Ryan Mulcahy, part one of a two-part series. And this podcast is also presented to you by OnX Hunt, the most comprehensive public and private land ownership data mapping tool in the world. Many tools and layers like crop types, tree species, waypoints, and so much more. Uh, the Onyx Elite membership is going to give you a ton of access to um, a whole bunch of benefits, uh, discounts on awesome gear. Um, if you're not using Onyx Hunt already, I highly encourage you get over to onyxhunt.com and sign up today. And be sure to check out Anook Shook Professional Dog Food, the only sporting dog, high-performance dog food I'm feeding my string of dogs. Have been using this for several years, and Anook Shook has delivered and lived up to and surpassed all the hype you've been hearing about online, through friends, kennels, breeders, all that and it has just been a high quality premium food. Uh, I've been able to cut back several cups of food for my dogs, still keeping weight on them during season, during trialing, whatever it might be. These dogs are in the best shape they've been in personally in a long, long time. And thanks to Anook Shook Professional Dog Food, they have four incredible formulas. Check them out at anookshookpro.com. And last but not least, Final Rise Gear. I am so pumped and proud to be representing the Final Rise brand. They have been producing year after year quality premium upland gear that is made for the hunter. The bird hunter who is putting on miles after miles, season after season, and wants gear to hold up to the elements of how you are hunting. You got to look no further than finalrise.com. Check out the Summit Vest, the Summit XT Vest, which is brand new, the Sidekick Vest, as well as the Legacy. So many vest options, which are totally customizable. Um, I'm pretty darn confident you're going to find something that works for you and your setup. Uh, so check them out at finalrise.com. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Up and Rookie podcast. I am your host, Will Larson. Yes, nothing has changed there. It's still me coming to you from my garage. <laughs> uh, same old, same old. It's a Monday morning, day after Easter. Had a great weekend. We were in church with the family. We had, we had uh, family uh, over for uh, late lunch, I guess. Dinner, dinner, lunch, whatever you want to call it. It was awesome. Watched the Avs win last night, which was way closer of a game than it should have been against the Anaheim Ducks. But uh, we're ready, guys. We're ready. We have a great uh, got a two-parter today. Two-part episode. Not releasing them both on the same day, but I will release part two in a couple days. So stay tuned. Um, I broke up this episode with Ryan Mulcahy in a two. Um, we got going. We, we, we had some, some things to talk about and so um i hope you guys enjoy this two-parter so make sure if you like this one stay tuned make sure you are subscribed because uh you don't want to miss part two coming out in a couple days so um couple orders of business if i would i don't know like to say i'm in a mood today i'm in the mood I'm not sure if you can tell lots of coffee has gone down the hatch already it's 9 54 in the morning feeling good we got some nice weather out here in Colorado, finally. It's been a long winter, but a couple things. I got a giveaway. Who doesn't like a good giveaway? Um, we just wrapped up our spring gear giveaway with Final Rise a couple weeks ago, and I have another giveaway coming your way. Uh, so make sure you get signed up on Patreon, become a Patreon supporter of the Upland Rookie Podcast. And uh, again, with the weather turning, getting a little warmer out for some of us and one of the products that has uh, come out i think came out last year was the gunner fan kit 2.0 and so i got another gunner fan kit 2.0 to give away to a listener of the show so make sure you get signed up uh, at patreon and you will be entered into the giveaway and so uh, a couple weeks left in april get signed up uh, i'll be drawing a winner uh, from the patreon platform to walk away with a brand new gunner fan kit 2.0 and an upland rookie hat so 
get excited. Those fans come in handy, keeping dogs cool uh, in the summer months, even in spring. Based on where you live, it can be warm. So um, really come in handy with, with keeping dogs cool. Um, this thing is all stainless steel internal, so it can be out in the weather, get wet, all that good stuff, dirt, grime. Uh, these things hold up incredibly, incredibly well. So you can mount them to pretty much any kennel out there, pretty universal. Uh, so whether you have a gunner or you have another fan ki- or another uh, kennel set up, um, this is going to mount to that kennel very, very well. Of course, it's designed for a gunner. So if you have one, that's awesome. If not, you'll, you'll figure out a way. I'm, I'm confident in you. You'll figure out a way to get that fan kit mounted to your kennel setup. So anyways, enough with that last, uh, or one more announcement is, um, if you are a YouTube watcher, which I'm guessing if you were like me, you spend probably too many hours on YouTube watching some videos that are very helpful or useful. Some that are just wasting your time, (laughs) but uh, if you're a YouTube watcher, um, just to let you know that all the podcast episodes are being uploaded to YouTube. So if, I don't know if you listen to podcasts through YouTube, then the Upland Rookie is going to be there for you. If not, that's awesome. Keep listening to, you know, through Apple or Spotify or, you know, Amazon music, whatever, whatever you listening to, uh, the podcast on, that's great. But, uh, just know there's another option uh, up on YouTube. So, I think we've got about half of them uploaded right now uh, over there. So if you listen through YouTube or we want to, or you, I don't know, who, who knows? It's an option for you up on YouTube. So head over there, subscribe to the Upland Rookie podcast. That'd be awesome. Um, I've done a couple a gear review videos over there. I'll be doing a couple more um, here in the future. Um, and yeah, so that those are my announcements. I wanted to do a listener question here. Um, we got Tyler wrote in, this is a good one. Tyler wrote, I think I missed the Insta quote. Oh, I think I missed the Insta questions a couple days ago about the topics to discuss, but here you go. Um, uh, discuss, but have you ever done anything on dynamics of having a male and a female in the same house? You always hear people say to stick to the same sex, but I would think having one of each may differ or may offer some balance. IDK. I don't know. IDK. Um, great question, Tyler. I think that's a very, very fair question. Cause I've heard the same thing. I've heard, Oh, you know, if you get a male, get another male. If you have a male, get a female. I've heard if you have a male, don't get another. I've heard like all the different combinations. Cause if you get another male with a male, then they're going to be too dominant and aggressive. Same thing with, uh, having a male and a female, then they're going to want to hump each other all the time. I've heard all of it. So my personal experience, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, so I have a male and a female. I had two males and a female at one, one point. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's some dynamics of, especially if you, I think have the, the female and the male intact, there's going to be, you know, dynamics of are is your goal to breed them? Is it not to breed them? Um, and yeah, there's, there's, a couple times a year when, you know, wind goes into heat uh, or getting ready to go into heat, just coming out of heat. Um, it's kind of a long, a long cycle um, that gauges if he's a, in very close proximity to her. I mean, he'll, he'll lose his mind. Um, he will, <laughs> will lose her mind. So strategically, you know, how, how I have my yard set up and my house set up, um, you know, when she's going, going into heat or uh, is, is, in her, her heat cycle. Um, I'm keeping them as far away as possible. Um, but again, I'm, I'm able to do that with, again, with my run set up, uh, side of the house, backyard, they're very separated. So, um, you know, if you, I don't know if you're having planning to have your, your male and your female intact, um, I would just think it's going to depend on your setup. If you can keep them separated, cause it's, it's take some planning, take some coordination on, uh, keeping them separated and just being smart with it. Uh, again, if you don't want to breed them, again, it's, you just need to be very, very cautious. Um, again, I'm not ready to breed when yet. So again, I'm, I'm being cautious as well, keeping them separated. So um, so that, again, I'm just speaking from my personal experience. Maybe some others have thoughts out there. Um, I would love to hear some of those. Uh, male versus female. Should you have two males? Stick with all females. You know what it might be. Um when I had two males and a female, 
I got the males together and I mean, they were buds. I mean, maybe it's just their personalities. Um, there was no issues as far as you know, dominance or aggressiveness. Um, they, they got along their buds, uh, when, um, and then she was, she was, you know, pretty much by herself. Um, you know, obviously if she was not, um, going to be going into heat, um, yeah, they, they'd all play together sometimes, hunt together, train together. Like there's no difference there. So, um, so yes, I mean, it's going to depend on the dog. I think a lot too, if they're an aggressive dog, aggressive male, um, you know, temperament issues, breed, it's going to depend on a lot of different things, but all that to say, I've heard the same things. People say, Oh, only get males or only get females or, or whatever. I think it's just going to depend on the dog, the temperament, your setup, your, your intentions on breeding, not breeding. Do you spay? Do you neuter? Do you not? Um, so a lot of variables there, but, um, again, from speaking from my experience, you know, the males have been buds female when she's not in heat can, can hang and can play and, and do whatever they need to do with the males as well. So, um, so that's all I got for you, Tyler. Thanks for writing that question in. Um, I appreciate it. Um, kind of fun to unpack some things again. I'm only going to give, <laughs> I'm only going to give you guys advice on things I, uh, have personal experience with again, I could be way off, but again, from my experience, I'm just sharing with you what I know. So, um, if you guys have other questions, I guess, or other things you want to hear kind of unpacked in my five minute or try to be under five minute hot takes, <laughs> um, shoot me a message, email me, um, DMS on Instagram are probably the best way, um, at the Upland rookie on Instagram. So email is great too, whatever works for you. So I'm not picky. Um, so that's all I got for you. Um, we're going to jump in to part one of the, uh, two-parter with Ryan Mulcahy. Um, Ryan has been kind of a long overdue guest, honestly. I've, uh, I've wanted to get him on for a long time and I think just schedule conflicts and just, just life kind of got in the way. Um, so I was super pumped to, uh, get Ryan on, pick his brain on, um, breeding, bird dog development, reading dogs, roading dogs, um, puppies, um, just unpack of like really what he's looking for, uh, in bird dogs, the intelligence side of things. We, we go into a whole bunch. Um, this might be one of my favorite episodes. I know. I'm sorry. I said it. I said it. I'm not going to take it back. Might be one of my favorite episodes. So, um, we're going to jump in. Hope you guys enjoy. Take care. The last eight years have been in Idaho. Um, okay. so since 2015 and then, um, basically started, training full-time out there and then it, you know, it just continued to snowball. Um, otherwise, you know, good, way, good, bad or otherwise it just kept building. And, uh, you know, thankfully there's a lot of opportunities out there if you're, um, willing to be uncomfortable and, mm. um, I've never had much of an income. So I was very willing to be uncomfortable, um, sure. to have a little bit of income and, uh, and then also chase a dream. And hmm. I didn't really realize it was a dream. And then, you know, you just keep, it just keeps going. So, um, it, it actually, what I've kind of compared my, my experience to is, you know, if you're like, you go out too hard in a race and you're like, or in a workout or something, you're breathing real hard and you don't feel like you're getting any oxygen back in. And you probably know this more than most being at elevation. Um, <laughs> that, you know, you feel like you never really get a full breath of air back in <laughs> yeah. that, that is essentially been, um, my short career in a nutshell. It just, mm. um, every opportunity you jump at, you, you don't sure. know what's going to be your last. So, um, yeah. and, uh, that, that's the hard part with that. <laughs> So the, the good and the bad, you know, the good and the bad. Absolutely. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's, a, it's an adventure yeah. and it's scary and yeah, you just got to kind of jump into things and that's, yeah. that's crazy, man. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to unpacking it more and hear yeah. more about your story and journey. So yeah, yeah. we're, uh, we're excited to have you here, Ryan. Um, but Ryan, I gotta, gotta ask you, this is, this is fresh off the, yeah. the last you know couple of weeks or so. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you followed along on the, uh, the bird dog bracket uh, yeah. on the old gram. Yeah. What, uh, give me, give me your, give me your thoughts. Give me your reaction to the, uh, the bird dog bracket here well i feel like we already knew who's gonna win from the start <laughs> I, I mean you, you probably i mean 
there's puppy mills with short hairs coming out, right? And uh, it's it's America's favorite dog. Um, I, and they're don't get me wrong, they're they're not my cup of tea, but I've worked some really really enjoyable ones. Sure. Um, in fact, a lot of them I work, we get some really good work done with them. Um, yeah. But uh, for what I do, they don't. It, it's hard to get the dog to be that standard consistently. And, um, and it's not putting them down at all. They're, they're, they have a different, it it is what it is. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. So if you bred enough generations of them and ran your program based on like wherever you go in the world to, uh, to work dogs, it doesn't matter the breed, you're going to be able to create something, but that that's the short hair is America's breed of choice right now for any yeah why is it you think what what is it about the short hair well it's it it truly is probably the most versatile dog in the world um sure the the thing that i would love to do this but and i haven't done it yet and i'm i should be able to in the future here because my work schedule i i i won't be working as many 80 hour weeks um (laughs) (laughs) that's exciting yeah it's uh (laughs) That hasn't happened in a long time, but, um, I should have a little bit of freedom to travel. I really want to go up and watch, um, the Iditarod and I know that's like a big show and everything, but, oh, yeah, yeah. um, at least want to watch certain stages or, or parts of it, seeing mushrooms. I want to sure. watch them handle dogs. I want to watch them be around their team. Hmm. Um, I want to see the carnage, um, what, hmm. what they're doing to try to manage that team along the way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, I really want to see even the uh, short course dogs, which the short hair is the ideal dog for uh, ski joring, bike joring, and um, oh. uh, canny cross. And okay. it's it's a dog that you know, and we'll get into this. But if if you breed certain characteristic generation after generation, and then just continue to enhance it, uh, it that's going to be the right dog. Um, mm. And, uh, there was a gal I was chatting with this year and she was asking me about, you know, breeding to possibly breeding to one of my males. And I said, I don't think it's going to be, um, the type of dog that you want for, because she's, uh, she does ski joring and she's, she's one, okay. I think she was very competitive worldwide. And I yeah. said, I don't think I said, muscle wise, they're going to have it. The fluidity in their gait is different. You're basically looking for and you're talking about your pointers right yeah yeah, yeah One okay. of, because our dogs have to it's a different um it's just a different structure and build that we're looking for compared to what they're mm. looking for and the fluidity sure. in their gait is completely different and it's if you took a uh a, like 70 to 90 pound short hair and crossed it to a greyhound that's essentially what they're running and, um, it, or, or a stag hound or something, you know, depending on whatever type of terrain you're in, if you needed a little bit of hair sure. or whatever, but that those dogs are, oh gosh, they're fast and they're incredible <laughs> athletes and they've got endurance to boot. And sure. when you breed enough generations of them and you go down through and work them like you know, that's a different short hair. They don't hunt. Sure. They aren't bred to hunt. And that's what people have to realize. Like I had a guy one yeah. day say, well, I bet those dogs never hunt. I'm like, I bet you the last 20 generations of them haven't been bred to hunt. They've been bred to run. Mm. And sure. that's like whatever we're doing, if we're breeding with that purpose, that's what we're going to create. If you work them, it doesn't sure. matter the breed. So like, you know, if that means to be a running sled dog, yes. if that means to be a bike champion, bike joring yep. dog, whatever it might exactly. be like, yeah, whatever, like your, your goal is, whether you're kennel or breeder, whatever you are, like whatever your focus is, if you want crazy ass, great, great bird dogs, then you're breeding for that. Yes. Or, you know? Yeah. And, and then regardless of breed, um, and I know I get off these on these tangents real easy, but, uh, regardless of breed, that's kind of the fascinating part, but sure. what people don't want to know is that there is a culling process, whatever way that that goes, there is a selection and you, they don't all get bred. And that's the, that's the part where our uh, human side has to, we have to get rid of the bias of, well, I really like this dog. Well, right. But the dog doesn't pertain 
what we need to move forward. And so it doesn't mean you have to destroy the animal. It just means that it, sure. it's not in this program. And that's right. what folks have to understand. They don't all get bred and they should not all get bred. Yeah. Um, should not. Right. No, just cause you like no. it just cause you love a dog and you, you they might look great or they may, um, fine fine birds like those are all good qualities right right it's, right doesn't mean that they have the whole package to be bred that's that's right yeah and the others you know kind of the way i've even looked at it is um you know a lot of people they you go to their kennel and they're like oh well, i got a big time stud dog well in that reference that means that that dog will throw themselves in every single breeding okay so mm. if you're having a stud dog you're proclaiming that this dog will throw themselves a majority of the time in every breeding. Okay. Mm. I don't look at it that way. If I'm trying to get, you know, if I'm looking at a and B and trying to get a C, you know, like a plus B equals C. Well, if I'm looking at the pups for that next generation, I might have to create something in order to breed it to what I have. So, the ultimate equation is what I'm looking for and maybe what I have in my kennel. So I might have a male that I'm like, you know, if I would really like to breed that male, but he needs to be bred to a certain type of female, I might hmm. not be able to find her. I might spend sure. 10 years trying to find her and I don't <laughs> find her. Right. So I've got yeah. to go and create her. You got to kind of create almost. Yeah. yeah create you that to, thing you're looking for. You have to create the transport. Wow. And, um, and so, you know, I look at a lot of that stuff and, um, and we don't, we don't always think about, it. we think only one generation ahead and it doesn't mean that those dogs are poor or this or that, but if you're looking at the grand scheme, sometimes you got to be looking two and three generations down the line and you've got to mm -hmm. match it up along the way. So, um, yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's a hard equation to think through though. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. we just jumped, uh, we yeah. just, we're five minutes in, man. And we just, yeah. <laughs> we just went right to, right to breeding. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely want to, I want to circle back on that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, so real quick, and we're going to kind of go through the rest of this. Yeah. Did, did you think the pointer, the pointer ever had a chance in the no, bracket? No, no, not at all. Was there any, any hope, no. any like just smidge of. No, no, it's, and it never will. It's, um, think about this people really like the Yankees, right? Well, think about that. So think about their dominant. Yeah, pass, yeah. Right. Sure. The, the sure. pointer is the pinnacle of bird dogs and that's not putting down a different breed. They, they sure. were, that dog was only bred for work. Hmm. That was all they were bred for. So there was no com real companionship. It wasn't bred for that. There was no real breeding for show because the European style of pointer was used for is or is used for show. Um, mm -hmm. So if you really look at it, the pointer has been bred purely for purpose. Sure. And and so if you're looking at the majority of folks out there, um, and we are we're we're getting further and further away from working with animals at a high level like we used to because now we've got gadgets and we've got busier lives and uh, less land to access. So why, you know, if you look at it in that grand scheme of things, um, sure. the point, the pointer's just, it, it's a plantation dog. It's a Texas dog. It's, it's a pot, you know, certain types of the, or parts of the country, certain people are going to run them. Um, I mean, it's no different than a Walker, uh, Coonhound. Um, my dad, uh, sure. my dad has been, working the coonhounds for over 65 years now. And oh, wow. when, before I was born, he swapped mostly to, uh, walkers. And I asked him why, why'd you go to walkers from English? Cause he started with English and he was, I believe, and I could be wrong. He was working English and breeding them before Briar Creek. Um, which if you ever listen to houndsman XP podcast, they talk about Briar Creek, uh, kennel. Okay. He was doing it before them. And then one of their foundation dogs, they brought up on an episode and I asked my dad about him and he said, no, I never bred to him because hmm. the dog was not a good producer. Well, it was one of their foundation hmm. dogs. And I was, and he oh, said, wow. but, but he said the reason, and he said, I didn't have the right female to breed to him to try hmm. to almost amplify that, that, um, that generation. He said, so basically he goes, I lost all my stock. And I swapped away from it. 
and I went to the walkers oh, because wow. I could, I could get the right dogs. And, wow. and he, yeah. So that, that's kind of, I look at things a little differently because sure. You know, well, and that, that kind of goes to what we were just talking about, about the breeding thing. It's like mm-hmm. your dad, dad said, like he didn't have the right female to breed to that dog. Yeah. That, right. Like that, that, that male could have, could have been throwing great pups, right? It could have been. Yeah. Which is awesome. Right. But, but if, if you don't, if you don't have that truly right dog to breed to, then yes. just, you got to make a decision. That nick. Right. And, and then you're looking for a Nick. You're looking for a generational cross that can propel little by little, because a lot of these guys you'll see, and they'll use catchphrase terms, you know, um, whenever they talk about their dogs, like, you know, Oh, that dog's a machine. They're this, they're, you know, and they build them up. And all I want to do is work. I want to look at them and work them. That's it. Hmm. Don't, don't hmm. try to sell them to me. Don't do any of that yeah. crap because all I want to do is as, watch them. As, yeah. Because of uh, you as the person, you know, looking to, to do this breeding or whatever, yeah. you kind of know what you're looking for. Right. So you don't exactly. need someone to sell you on, Oh, they do this, 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 and this. Yeah. Right. You already yeah. know what you're looking for. And so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's kind of the, you know, the yeah. whole take on that's, it all, but, but yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, and you know, I was actually really, so my great grandfather, um, used to run Britney's, uh, well, he had a, I think a couple decent Britney's that he ran in the grouse woods back in the day. Okay. And, uh, they did a lot of bird hunting. Um, they were all farmers. And so when they had free time, they were running coon hounds or they were running beagles or they were running bird dogs. And they had a lot That's of rough cool. grouse, um, near the farm. And, um, yeah. and then they also had some pheasants back then too, um, that were wild okay. birds, but, uh, um, That's awesome. so he, I want to say that dog's name was dash and they killed a lot of, uh, grouse over dash. And wow. so dash was not alive when I w- was a kid. Okay. He had, he had some poor, poor Weimaraner in the kennel. I think I remember seeing okay. a, a, <laughs> that's, that's a dog you don't hear much about oh, anymore. No. I feel that, no. That, I it, mean, but they, but weren't they like super popular way back in the day? Well, I think it was World War II. Um, a lot of the, uh, um, a lot of the military were bringing them back. There were these real pretty dogs, and okay. they were smuggling these puppies back into the United States. <laughs> and then, but you know, the hard part is if you don't have a genetic pool. Um, they, they really didn't have a genetic pool. So now you're like, well, okay, I've got to breed them to something if I want to keep them around. Otherwise it just dwindles, but you know, like any of that stuff, you know, you know we'll, we'll get into that in a breeding talk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. yeah, I feel all this keeps coming back, coming it, back to breeding. Well, hey, hey, since we're, we're 15 minutes in here, yeah, yeah. I, I, we have not properly introduced you yeah. uh, to anyone. So the people are like, who the hell are we talking to right now? Yeah. Um, can you, can you go ahead and just uh, uh, tell us who you are yeah. and a uh, little, little overview, just high level, uh, and then uh, put us on a map. Where are you talking to us from? Okay. Uh, my name is Ryan Mulcahy. Um, I am the owner, operator, and manure scooper of Born to Run Kennels. Um, and we are essentially a traveling circus, and we are now living in Georgia, uh, in Millen, Georgia, about 15 miles from Waynesboro, which is the bird dog capital of the world. Um, mm. And um, Harold Ray, if anybody knows of Harold Ray, Harold Ray's uh, kennel is over in Waynesboro. I haven't been there yet, mm. but, but he's there. And okay. Harold, Harold's incredible from everything I've seen and heard. Um, yeah. and so if you drive into Waynesboro, what I've also discovered in my short time here, you drive into Waynesboro, everything is themed with bird dogs. So certain buildings have mm. setters on them. Certain buildings have pointers. There is one mural with a short hair on it. Um, we don't talk about that side of town. Um, no. um, but it's, it's, it's really neat. If you look up on the water tower, there's a silhouette of Tomoka, uh, the famous setter. Up wow. There. And this, this sounds, this sounds just like the, the city of Denver. Yeah, I mean. yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you know, it's just kind of neat, you know, if you're an enthusiast of it and you're walking around town and you're like, Oh gosh, there's just bird dogs on street signs. There's bird dogs on, you know, businesses. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of neat. Um, yeah. And then if you go into a certain place, um, they'll talk about field trials over at Dye Lane Plantation, which uh, I believe all the 
the Georgia All Age and Shooting Dog Trials are held over at Dye Lane Plantation, uh, which is about ten minutes south of the backside of the plantation I'm on. So um, that's awesome. And that and the plant. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know if you really. I guess it's plantation. I don't know. Um, we don't do any crops, but it's all managed for birds. Uh, it's a pro. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's approximately five thousand acres, a little under, um, and it's called Spring Mill. And we are in uh, Millen, Georgia, and it's quite new. Um, we've been working with Tall Timbers, uh, or they have been working with Tall Timbers um, organization um, the last few years, and they're getting the the habitat correct, and they're getting the birds building. And um, since getting here, I have been hearing birds uh, whistling and calling each other. Uh, right from nice. the house, the house that I live at. So it's kind of nice. Um, oh, that's, that is super cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I want to, we'll loop back to a little bit more born to run kennels, kind of yep. what brought you down to Georgia and some yep. of your, uh, your other stuff. But before we go any further, um, tell me a little bit about your story. I know you mentioned your dad, yeah. uh, running coon dogs and your grandpa being in bird dogs. So just tell yep. me a little bit about like, was this lifestyle was, was bird dogs and training? Was this an option for you? Was this something you, um, kind of got into a little bit later. Tell me your, your journey a little bit, get into this. So this was, okay. So I guess it all started off at about probably about three or four years old. Um, and I always wanted to be outdoors with dad working the hounds and the puppies and taking them for walks and whatnot. And, uh, at that time he had Walker pups consistently. We would have mom and I say that we had up to 40 dogs at a time dad says I've never had that many and, and he, he I'm going to side that. with him because well I'm going to side with him on this because I a litter of puppies is one dog to me so um, <laughs> and, and so now I'm going to side with him on that because if I was a kid growing up I'm, I'm looking at a puppy at the same age as a mature dog and it's not yeah, yeah. but um, <laughs> dad um, before I was born, one of the uh, big championships he held up in – so I'm, I'm originally from Tawanda, Pennsylvania, which is northeast Pennsylvania. Um, one of the championships he held drew, I believe, 110 dogs, and it took um, approximately two weeks for them to conclude that championship. And wow. so he put that on, and that, and that was – you know, the, he ran the Coon Club up there, as they called it, and the, it was uh, – um, in partnership with the Beagle Club. And to kind of fast forward, uh, one of my college teammates um, that I ran with all through college, he got into Beagles once he got out of school. I watched him put his first championship on one of his uh, prize dogs at the Tawanda Beagle Club. And that was one of the coolest things because he got into Beagles and I uh, really dove into the bird dogs. And, you know, then you fast forward – I'm sorry, real, real quick, Ryan. Yeah. Real quick, Ryan. Yeah, sorry, sorry. So, was your was your dad running bird dogs at all, or was he just in the coon no, dog space? Just coon dogs. Just coon dogs. Just, okay. Okay. So, okay. and then, um, and I can jump back and forth too much, but um, so dad ran the coon club, but it did um, the same building and facility was for the uh, beagle club as well. So that's where I grew up uh, on the weekends okay. that we didn't have sports or anything going on. I was always there. So. Then you fast forward, I guess, probably 20 years, and I get to watch one of my best friends put a championship on one of his dogs there. And I was, it, it wow. was just, it was kind of neat because neither one of us really, yeah, thought about it um, when yeah. we were in college. So, but <laughs> that's um, crazy. But dad, dad was always tied in with dogmen. Um, in fact, um, most people know of Terry Merritt um, from Merritt Setters. Um, okay. And Terry's since passed away, but. Terry and my uncle were best friends. Um, and, uh, Terry lived in Apple Lake in New York. Um, so just below Binghamton, he ran his setters, which were prize dogs. And, um, and that line is continuing to go, but he also ran coon hounds and he ran beagles. The man did everything. So dad was kind of tied in with, we'll just call them dog men. And yeah, just of, they, of all, whether, yeah, hounds or pointing yeah. or whatever. Yep, exactly. So that's kind of the life that he showed me at a young age. And um, I guess I just really enjoyed that time with him. Um, And I I enjoyed when I was about four years old, he'd be carrying me through the woods at night and uh, just (laughs) carry me in his arm. And, you know, 
dogs would be baying on a tree and um he would just we'd get into the tree and then he'd get in there and i would just stand back and i would watch him work and he would he would work these dogs and uh um if he had a young dog he would um take his leads and he would kind of tie them back from the tree and um he and then i would just shine my light up the tree i had a little headlamp like a miner's cap and uh and he had one and he would climb up the tree to where the coon was he'd grab him by the tail and swing him out to the ground and let it hit the ground (laughs) and it it would take off running well then he would climb down and uh turn that young dog loose that he was working okay and let them get some more repetition uh okay and so um yeah i i watched that a lot and it that's that's so cool during the school week if he was working dogs and mom wouldn't let me go during the school week, I would throw an awful fit. I mean, it was, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I wasn't going to bed until the lights. D- don't, into the don't driveway. keep a boy. Don't keep a boy from his, uh, his, his, his dogs. Well, and, <laughs> that, and they knew that they knew I was, I guess they knew that about me. And, um, it wasn't that they were trying to diminish it, but they wanted me to get an education. Both of them demanded sure. it. And so, um, you know, basically dad demanded I get a college education and with mom, it was just, you're going to do this. Um, yeah, and I did. this is so, no option, no option. Yeah. Um, so when did, when did the turn? So, so here's a question then. Yeah. So why, why aren't you fully in the coon dog yeah. space? Like when well, did, why did the bird dog kind of take over your so, path? So, um, we used to hunt pheasants with my uncle and, uh, pheasants and grouse and, um, um, the Pennsylvania game commission would put birds out. And, um, so when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, I guess we started going and doing that. And that was something I enjoyed. Um, and, and we would run beagles and some of those beagles would get on a track and it might be a grouse and it might be a pheasant and they would put them up and then you knock them down kind of thing. And you kind of knew what they were running. So after Hmm. that, um, I just kept saying to my dad, you know, I want a bird dog. Uh, and hmm. he goes, well, wait until you're done with school and then I'll buy you one. So about 10 years later, I moved to Flagstaff, Arizona after college. And, um, I said, dad, I think I'm ready for a dog. And he goes, okay, I'll go find one. And, um, I looked at a bunch of short hairs because short hairs are a big deal out in Arizona. Um, and so I looked at some short hairs and I just, I didn't really jive with the personality of any of them. Um, that constant happy feet jockeying around, um, with the young dogs. I'm not, uh, people are going to skewer me for saying that stuff, but, um, <laughs> but you know, they're excitable dogs. They constantly sure. are uh, mouth infatuated and they're constantly talking. I hate it. I hate that stuff. Even in a pointers that do it, I hate it. Um, sure. and so, um, I looked at, I went to a couple pointer kennels and I looked at some dogs and then I got on some website that talked about L Hugh pointers and crap like that. All right. Well, I bought a double granddaughter, I think of Snakefoot, and okay. that was the first dog I had and she was gun shy, but she looked pretty pointed. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> Um, did you buy a little bit older dog? Was she already yeah, a started yeah, dog? She or? was a okay. started dog. Okay. She was a year and a half old and she, I'm trying to think what a, I got rid of her within a year. Um, I, okay. I gave her away within a year and then I, um, or maybe it was a year and a half and I started working other dogs at that time. Um, I started Bill Gibbons was still alive in, uh, Phoenix And, um, so Bill would spend time with me talking bird dogs and talking training. And, um, and so I, every time I went to a big field trial or any of the Arizona field trials, I would speak with him and he would just share with me. And I was being mentored by a guy named Jim Schultz out of Flagstaff, Arizona. Hmm. Um, and Jim won a lot of the championships out there, um, between Arizona and California. He was always a contender with his string. Um, and so I, I got to see a lot of these dogs and, um, I started working with some that had problems, uh, like runoff dogs or, um, 
different things like that. And in fact, actually one of the guys had a dog that won a walking championship and he, he offered him to me because he didn't have time to work him anymore. Hmm. I just didn't like him. I didn't get along with him. Hmm. He was just, um, he wasn't anything special to me. He was, uh, and after that, I just thought I'm going to work the dogs that I jive with. And Hmm. so the runoff dog, actually, I got her from the same guy and I loved working her because she always, huh. once I got her in order, she always wanted to do right. And she became a bird dog. Um, hmm. And so she... Um, I want to take a quick minute and talk about OnX Hunt, the number one digital mapping software in the world. And if you're not using OnX Hunt already, now is a great time to uh, try it out in the off season here. Start looking at some states and areas that you hunt and just see what it can open up. See the acres and the amount of public land it'll open up to you this hunting season. It's a great time to start pre-scouting before the season starts. So check out onxhunt.com. Use promo code ROOKIE20 for 20% off your order. Yeah, she she died young, but she she had valley fever and it eventually killed her. But um, had a tremendous work ethic and was an enjoyable dog to be around. And so that's what yeah. I started working. And then I got Rue, which Rue is over 11 now. Um, but I got him and, um, and he's probably, he's probably the best bird dog, like sheer bird dog that I've gotten to develop. Um, okay. and he's a dog that, as far as like sheer numbers, um, there were some things that he did along the way that were very impressive. Um, regardless of, regardless of what everybody else is looking for. Um, when I watch a dog literally go to six different coveys of birds in 25 to 30 minutes, um, and have every one of them steady to wing and shot, um, Mm. And we're talking wild birds on that. Um, sure. Now the birds have to be there, but that same dog is going to them, and we're not chasing any coveys. Um, yeah. You know, he he's done a lot for me, and he's done a lot for the puppies that we've developed with him. So that's so cool. You know. So that that first pointer you got, and you, you, yeah. you looked at some short hairs. You got that first pointer who was gun shy. Yeah. Did you kind of just fall in love with their personality then from that point, and, and just seeing what those dogs were capable of, or, or why why have you stuck with the pointer? Um, you know, it, it's probably the closest thing to the types of athletes that I've worked with between um, distance runners and uh, and then also kind of the wrestling background uh, that I grew up with. Okay. And so, um, that mentality, they're probably the closest. And then, you know, they're, they're goofy dogs at times, but they're not, they're not off task all the time. And, Mm. um, and they're really quite easy dogs that take care of themselves in the kennel. Like you could walk into our kennel. I mean, we don't have it down here, but, um, in Idaho or, uh, anywhere else that I'm at, and they might all just be laying with their head down and not even worry about you being there. Um, mm. they, they may not even get up, but if you go to their kennel run, then they know that you're asking them to get up. And these are the same dogs that, you know, maybe they've never been in a house until they're eight years old, but they're so intelligent that they come mm. into the house and they look for your direction. You give them a direction and, um, and then they are okay. You know, they're, hmm. they're very adaptable animals and, um, and it's what I like that. And that's not sure. putting down, you know, people are going to say, well, he puts down other breed. Well, at times I might, but, um, <laughs> it's a good, I, I don't care what breed it is. A good dog's a good dog. Sure. Um, yeah. it, it just, it could be a cross breed. It could be anything. Um, if that dog is bred with intelligence and I'm talking about real intelligence, not man-made intelligence or, or a dog that has to have constant human direction. If, but if they understand their position, um, that's the type of dog I'm drawn to. Um, and there's pointers that there's certain lines of pointers I may never own because they're, Mm they're just not the type of dog I ever want to be around. And, and specifically we'll use that word type. You're going to hear sure. that a lot, especially when it comes to breeding. Um, and, and you think about that, the type of animal 
is specific to what I'm looking at, not just bloodline. Hmm. So you can breed a type with two different bloodlines or three different bloodlines. You can breed similar types because they have similar characteristics and they could come from different bloodlines. Mm. So, mm. Ooh, I'm, I'm excited to get into the later, yeah. later half of this conversation. <laughs> um, I just made a, a quick note. I want to come yeah. back to you. You said man-made intelligence versus in t- true intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, I just made a mental note of that. We'll come back to that uh, a little okay. bit later here. Yeah. Um, I want, I want to talk about two more things and we'll kind of move on. Uh, yeah. One kind of, uh, uh, you're, you're born to run kennels and yeah. your kennels up in Idaho. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that, that journey a little bit? Like why, why did you start that kennel? Uh, talk a little bit about, Again, I think it's kind of unique. You really just, you did kind of like a traveling summer camp thing with that, right? Yeah. yeah. And you'd bring dogs and run them on wild birds. Just first off, talk about starting that, born around kennels, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. So that, that kind of came about, um, gosh, uh, that name came about. So I, I, I worked very briefly for the Tracys um, for about three months. And it was about that time that I came about with that name. And, um, so the whole idea was, it's not just the dog is born to run it. It was from my running background through college and post collegiately and coaching and all that. So, um, yeah, that's essentially what that came about with, uh, my father did not actually want me to train for the public. He never wanted me to do Mm -hmm. that more. So he wanted me to be able to just enjoy my dogs. Right. And, um, if I'm looking at, any father um, that understands it, he understands he has a son that will take things too far. Mm. And, and that's, that, that's the, the long and the short of it. So if he understands he's got a son that'll, you know, take things too far, then <laughs> that can be good and that can be bad. Um, <laughs> so um, he never really wanted me to do that. And then we just kept talking. And then I, I met um, Seth Simpson when I was in Idaho and Seth was like, Hey, you know, I've got some dogs in, um, for obedience, but he said they're, they're short hairs. And he said, uh, the, the owners want to hunt them. Would you be willing to do, um, some training for them? And he's like, I'll pay you for it. You know, like I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I started going over to Seth's house, you know, um, about probably four days a week. And I started working these, these short hairs and I really enjoyed it. And I, and I was already training my own dogs. Um, sure. and, then I sold a female named patch and I had developed patch from a puppy up. Um, she's a little younger than Rue. So she'll be 11 this year. Um, but she, um, I sold her to Mitch hurt out in Montana and she went into Mitch's team and he, he guides from Montana to South Texas and he's been doing it for, I want to say 25 to 26 years. And, um, and has a really capable, like a really good capable string of dogs. And he puts a lot of time with them on the ground, takes wonderful care of his animals. And so I put her up for sale and because of her bloodlines, she went back to, uh, like rebel breeding and a dog called Slate Creek doc, and then a dog called silver strike. And, um, it was all old school bloodlines that kind of mixed and matched. Well, everybody that looked at her was like, you know, they, they saw, I only put $2,500 on her and, uh, uh, I thought that was pretty good at the time and, <laughs> and I didn't fancy myself as anything special. So, uh, I was young in the whole training of my own dog. So I sold her to Mitch and he calls me the next season, um, in Montana. He goes, I keep trying to figure out what's wrong with her. Why would, why would you only sell her for $2,500? I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he goes, well, she's, she's broke steady through the kill. And he said, she retrieves to hand. I didn't know you force fetched her. I said, no, <laughs> I said, I never force fetched her. That's natural. <laughs> and, um, and so that was after that, Mitch and I just kept building this relationship and she did really well for him down in Texas that year. And when they don't come from Texas and then they go there, um, mm. for some dogs, it can be extremely challenging. Um, mm. they, they may not adapt well and she adapted very well. Um, and, you know, and, and he just, he, she always was a real consistent dog for him. And, um, and so the next summer he says, Hey, uh, 
I'm thinking about building 10 kennels at my place. Do you want to come over and train for the summer? I've got all these people that want, they keep asking him to train dogs. He goes, I'm not a dog trainer. Um, do you mm-hmm. want to come over and train for the summer? And I said, well, yeah. So I think I was working, uh, for East junior high at the time in Boise in uh, with a special needs program. And I was a paraprofessional. I made no money. Um, but I, I liked it because I, I could, sure. run my. but uh, you know, at that point I was, I, I mean, I bet you I made like $1,200 a month. Um, and, wow. uh, and then I coached like a little running group. And, um, so yeah, I just had fun with everything. Well, sure. Um, barely got by <laughs> and, uh, and Mitch invited me over and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. So I went over in that first summer, I think when all was said and done, I made like, you know, with purchases of food and all that, I think I made like five grand. I was over the moon. I was like, yes, you're like, this is awesome. Yeah, this is great. (laughs) I mean, meanwhile, I'm like 30 years old and I've got nothing, you know, I've got nothing (laughs) in the bank. I've got nothing really going for me, but I'm just like, wants to give me 500 to $600 a month to work a dog done, you know? And, uh, that was how it started. Um, Mitch, Mitch and his wife, Annie are the ones that really, and, and Seth, they were the ones that really started it. And I had great examples between being around Jim Schultz and Flagstaff as a mentor. Uh, and he primarily at that time was running Rock Acre bred dogs. They were not out of Blackhawk, but they were Rock Acre bred, bred dogs. Hmm. And um, he had a couple champions in the kennel. And and getting to train with him and getting to watch him work him from horseback and riding and, and doing that. Um, and then... Kim Sampson has been, uh, West mountain kennels. Um, Kim's a wonderful teacher, uh, which is actually one of her backgrounds. And then she's a tremendous dog trainer. Um, and thankfully I had mentors like that. Um, Mm. that, that that was really what, what did it for me. I I was going to, I was, yeah, I was going to ask you a little bit, um, you know, where does you, you know, you know, this, uh, Mitch, yeah. ask you to, yeah. Mitch, like, you know, you were, so you were already trained some dogs at that point. It sounds like your own dogs. Where did yeah. that come from for you? Like, was that something, I mean, again, there were, I mean, I don't know when this was, but probably wasn't a lot of podcasts or, I mean, there's, there's books and stuff out there. Like, where did you learn to train dogs? Where did you kind of get your inspiration from? And so basically, um, you know, I, I watched a lot from Jim Schultz. So the, the Bill, Bill Gibbons always broke dogs on the neck, right? So that was a pinch collar. That was the old Bill West, uh, Bill Gibbons style of training. Um, but when I was developing with Jim, Jim did everything. Um, well, Farrell Miller at the time was breaking dogs on the flank and he had been doing it for many years. And so, um, that's what, um, uh, Jim did. Um, and so he originally did everything on the neck and then he ended up going to flank stuff. So, and, and Bill Gibbons would sit, you know, in the, in a horse trailer and just chat with me for an hour about why he, why you break a dog on the neck and what needs to be mm. done and this and that. So you were able to it, work, talk with him directly and, and yeah, ask some questions and ask a lot of questions and just, and listen to the man, not just talk, but listen to the man. And there were a lot of guys that were around Bill that would constantly talk. And I was so new to it. I didn't have anything to offer him other than effort, you know, like a young sure. guy that had effort and I didn't know what end was up. I didn't, growing up, we never had horses. We didn't do any of that stuff. I didn't, I didn't sure. know how to care for it. It was just all new to me. So yeah. to yeah. watch that stuff and try to pick things up along the way. And, um, yeah, that, so, but the, the difference is, and this is what I found out um, when I also I watched George Tracy and I watched George intently. Um, you can learn more watching certain people in two months and start using it than most people will learn in fifteen years in the sport. Hmm. And you want to think about that. And if you go and you watch, if you went and watched Harold Ray work and break out dogs that he had developed, and then and you said, well. Well, okay. Harold does it that way. I'm going to go and I'm going to watch this video and I'm going to do it this way. Uh, You're going to learn more in two months of watching Harold than you could on your own in 10 years. 
Um, mm. and you're going to learn more than going to a field trial by watching him in training. You're going to learn more because at a field trial, the whole example or idea of it is to show a dog to where that judge is like, wow, that's a really special dog. You're showing an animal. You're, you're trying to show them at their highest ability. You're not training. You're not developing. You're showing yeah. this. And so that's the major difference with a lot of this. And I watched, and it may not seem like a lot because it was a brief time, but I was intently watching and always asking questions of George to the point where I know it annoyed the hell out of him. And, and then when, and I, and I mentally at that time I was, I was going through some, some stuff with the relationship and, um, and I was not doing well on the road mentally. So I went home, but when I went home, everything that we were doing with the hanging baskets and, you know, controlled training, all that stuff just transitioned. And then I got to practice it because I had these young dogs. I had two young dogs that were ready to be broke out. I had another dog that just needed finishing touches on rough grouse. And then I had a puppy that was too much for her own good at that time. And I had to learn how to handle her. Hmm. And so I got to go home and practice the heck out of things and really develop dogs in the woods. And then, um, and then I moved West. And, And so, yeah, that was kind of the whole That's, thing of it. Wow. Yeah. I love that, man. I love that. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back to one thing you mentioned yeah. um, about a, a dog going uh, from place X yeah. to Texas. Yeah. And can you talk about, talk about that a little bit and some of your guiding you've done down there? But, but what is that specifically with that dog going to Texas? Uh, sounds like it's, it can be a, I mean, yeah. a big step for a dog. Talk about that more. Yeah. So, um, so the, the thing down there, uh, I, I actually hate the term guide. <laughs> I, be, and I mean, like, For me, I hate the term guide. So just, um, I hate it because all I want is dog work. Um, yeah. that, that's the biggest and, and thing. And guiding allows me. you to work with your dogs more. <laughs> well, guiding, guiding, um, a lot of the really good guides are tremendous people. Um, like they're, they're really good people person as well. So they are, they're the guys that can schmooze anybody. I hate that. I hate it. I, you know, I want someone to like, when I'm handling a dog, I want to look at it as I'm handling that dog for clients. And I might have a really good rapport with those people, but I'm not trying to talk to them. I'm directing them. I'm directing chaos. But, um, it, it took me a while. I just, there are so many tremendous guides that, um, don't even care about dog work. They'll say that they do. They've got some of the poorest dogs you'll ever see. And that's not just trying to, that's not their focus. Um, it, their focus is to have fun on the ground and kill birds. My focus is to break out a dog, even if it's in front of a client. So, you, so when, when I was in Montana at one point guiding, quote guiding, um, I was breaking out young dogs. <laughs> and they're, they're like, Oh, what are you, why are you running a flank collar on that dog? Well, you don't need to worry about it. You know? And, and like, if I saw, if I saw dual, shark, dual purpose, right. That dog could be out 200 yards, um, from me. And I might, I'm, I'm intently watching that young dog and the birds might get up in the air or out near it. And I just stop the dog. Yeah. And then we go in there and there's still birds on the ground. I was like, guys, I think there's birds in here. The dog's flagging or just standing there, you know, and, uh, and we just essentially had to stop to flush and they walk out in front. There's some more birds and they drop a bird. Well, now that mm. young dog goes to hunting them and pointing them. So mm. just depending on the dog, uh, some of them, some of the rebel bred dogs that I work would love to run through them at a young age. Um, but, <laughs> um, uh, which I quite enjoy, but, uh, the Texas thing, <laughs> Texas is very, very overwhelming. Mm. Uh, South mm-hmm. Texas is very overwhelming. Um, I have not guided in the panhandle and I've not guided or handled dogs in, um, the West Texas area. Sure. Um, I have not, I've not done that stuff, but, but I've handled them on the Mariposa for four years. Um, and I really like that country. It's tough mm-hmm. country. Uh, the Mariposa ha- does not burn. Um, and Ronnie, Ronnie Smith and I have talked about this. Um, I don't know that they've burned in 15 or 20 years. They don't feed any roads. Um, hmm. 
there's about 580 head of cattle on 48,000 acres. So the cattle, okay. there's, and most of them are wild. Um, there's not enough cattle to typically chew it down. So not this past okay. season, but the one before, um, the cover was so high, like it was up to your chest in a lot of areas. Um, and what kind of cover are we talking about? Are we talking like cactus? Well, there, are we talking there, like, there's like mesquite, a grass there's, at all? There's, or? Well, there's cactus and there's mesquite, but the biggest um, difficulty for a lot of dogs that go down there are the um, stickers, um, the sandburs. Sandburs really overwhelm a sensitive dog, Hmm. and that's the challenge. So a lot of these dogs that are highly intelligent, and I'm going to put that out there, many of them that are very sensitive are highly intelligent. And Hmm. then you've got a lot of the Texas bred dogs have a lot of – they're real brute force dogs or strong dogs. Um, they may not have a lot of endurance, but they will go through just about anything. You know, they'll run through a brick wall and come out on the other side. Um, and they're, they're pretty good bird dogs. They have a lot of hunt to them, but those dogs have been bred down there for their purpose for a lot of years. And that's, um, so at times it can be, are those kind of dogs, those kind of dogs then those little bit tougher ones you're saying can they kind of withstand those burrs and those pokey things a little bit better yeah you feel? yeah they're a lot of those dogs are a little unhinged and they um they deal with that stuff pretty well until they get worn down and tired they deal with it really well hmm. um but there's okay. still dogs that i mean when i put rue on the ground the first season down there four four years ago the first time on the ground i don't think he got off the trail at all like he ran down the quail road. So okay. it's a, it's like a brush hog road that kind of swivels through the pasture, like a big corkscrew. And, um, and so, um, he, he didn't do anything for three weeks. Dog looked awful. In fact, uh, my boss told me, he's like, look, that dog's not thriving. You might want to, you might want to <laughs> take care of him kind of thing. Put, Maybe put him on the bench. Put, well, put him down. He's like, he is, oh, he, he does not oh, look good. He was, and, and, and to his point, that dog was sleeping, I bet you, 15 to 18 hours a day. He didn't handle the oh, heat wow. at that point. And then I got him going at three weeks in, and uh, and he started getting into birds. And I, I put boots on his front, um, just some of those uh, kind of Kevlar-type boots. And, um, sure. And he started getting into birds, and the dog is such a bird dog that at the end of the season when birds were running, he pointed nine coveys in a day. And which is huge mm. down there. And sure. I just, and I came in, I, you know, I said, yeah, you know, Rue had nine cubbies today and everybody just kind of says, really? The dog that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that dog. And I was like, yeah, that, that dog, yeah, that, that dog. And, uh, and you know, I think I had like five bird dogs on my string, like legitimate bird dogs at that point. And, um, and, and, and real quick, these are these are your personal dogs, right? These aren't the yeah. ranch's dogs. These are these your are, dogs that you've, are, you've developed. The ranch, and, the ranch okay. does not own any dogs. Okay. Um, all and all the handlers come into that ranch uh, for the season. So um, yeah, it, so these are all my personal dogs. So if they fail, if they shut down in front of the truck, which a lot of dogs will, because on certain days you might be running a hunt and it's ninety five degrees. Well, if there's a hunt booked, you're running them. Um, now you're short heating them. You know, you might only have a dog on the ground for ten minutes. Well, they might get out of the box four times in a in a three hour hunt because you keep cycling through dog to dog. Well, when you only have about five bird dogs, the suckers better run every time they hit the ground. They <laughs> yeah. better run because you know your tipper is reliant on it, but also it makes you look like a fool. And it's embarrassing. You know, I'm, I'm not sure you think about a lot of the problems that we cause with dogs are caused by human embarrassment. They are. Mm. And now if I'm sitting out in front of this truck in a, in a handler seat and I've got millionaires sitting up behind me and they, they make a snide comment about that dog standing in the Mm. road, you know, not doing anything, not going anywhere, not getting anything done. Um, makes you feel pretty embarrassed. So, um, sure. there's a balance that has to, you know, be learned there. And that's a big part of it all. Um, yeah. yeah. So, 
I gotta run to the bathroom quick. Is that allowed? Go for Can it. Yeah, go for it. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, we just... will not record. We will <laughs> just yeah. Leave, right. You leave your phone there. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna put my headphones here too. Okay, I'll be right back. Sounds good. Okay. All right, that's a wrap of part one of the conversation with Ryan Mulcahy from Born to Run Kennels. Ryan uh, and I had to take a quick, uh, quick potty break here <laughs> to uh, we had a long, a long conversation. So we have a lot more uh, to unpack on this uh, two-part series. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast. Um, all new episodes, bonus episodes are going to be delivered right to your. Uh, podcast platform that you are listening to from Uh, so make sure you subscribe head over to youtube subscribe over there like and uh, or like uh, the facebook page as well as uh, instagram so follow along with the journey here at the upland rookie podcast Uh, other than that guys uh, thanks so much for following along if you haven't left a rating or review yet on apple Podcasts or spotify i would love if you could head over there um, takes less than a minute. Leave a rating and review. Um, I love reading some of those. Uh, it keeps uh, helps me keep a pulse on you know what this show is offering to my listeners. So greatly appreciate that. Uh, until next time, go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog. Take care. <laughs>